So we were, we're recording this piece because it just came out that Dom Ducharme uh, has What's tested. What's his name? Dom. Jeff. Dominic Ducharme, coach Jeffrey. of the Montreal Canadiens, uh, has allegedly tested positive. This is a tweet according to Darren Drager. Allegedly tested positive for COVID and will be sidelined for 10 days. That could be not only this round, but a good chunk of next. Mm-hmm. That is unbelievable. And now the Montreal Canadiens. How many teams have had three different head coaches behind the bench in a season? Because that's what they're that's about to get. Question. They're about to get their fourth head coach since uh, well, Kirk Muller, right? Last September? year. Yeah. yeah. Um, and early predictions seem to be that it'll, it'll be Alex Burroughs uh, managing the bench tonight. Um, oh, Elliot Freeman, 26 seconds ago. Believe Montreal head coach Dominic Ducharme has confirmed positive COVID. Uh, test and will not be participating in game three tonight we'll wait for further information but that's what we know at this time so what i said but only later massive massive. yeah i thought there might be extra details (laughs) the steve dangle podcast with your hosts steve dangle adam wild and jesse blake let's go Mm. and is you ready Tina, you ready? You guys good? You excited? You pumped? Totally. Yeah. Well, I was just excited that, you know, the work week is done, but I just, I hope that everyone without exception took less to work for their employer. Because that is what I was saying last episode. <laughs> I'm sure you did that with what I was saying. I'm sure with sports that you were like, you know what, guys? I'm gonna cut you a break. I know it's been hard for you. I sometimes I say things and the res- I see the responses and I'm like, did you hear every fourth word I said? And <laughs> my yeah, man. Listen, I, I don't. Sometimes get it. where we all agree on a take and then somebody will message me and go and go fuck you for that take. And I'm like, literally everybody else on the show said the same thing. But okay, it, it well, happens. Well, yeah, I hate when that happens. Adam said, and I'm like, we all said. <laughs> but like, no, but Adam a- said it. But Adam said it. So he's the one I can hate. But Adam, Adam we said need- it too. We need to talk about what you did say though. Oh, well, what did I say, Jesse? I think we need to start there, right? I think we should. We could start there. Because your bank account's a little lighter today. It is. After you said that Montreal would not win a single game versus the Golden Knights. My bank account's lighter, but the world's a better place. It's true. Wow. No. Wow. <laughs> so you Adam, made the $200 donation to Black Rock? I did. I did. And gladly so. I mean, listen, Montreal, um, as much as I don't believe the Mirage... And, and it's not because people are like, oh, it's because you're salty. No, I'm salty about the. You want to know what I'm salty about? Bring up, bring up the core four in Toronto. I'm salty about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, or two of the core four. Um, that's what I'm salty about. The, the Montreal Canadiens, it's like, you know, good for you for being here. This, this is great. And that really, when you look at the way that they handled the first period against the Golden Knights, I mean, the Golden Knights had some chances. But Carey Price was pretty spectacular. That Paul Byron goal to make it three nothing. Oh, like you knew the game was over, even with Petrangelo. He got like two goals, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you knew he did. You knew that game was was pretty much out of reach. And you have to give Montreal full credit because what they did was show up on time. And boy, do I wish the Leafs could do that. Uh, they showed up. They played hard from the first period, which is what they did in Game One as well. Only they weren't rewarded for it. So this time they were. And I wonder about because we saw with um with Colorado. And Vegas, Colorado won the first two games pretty handling. Yeah. Vegas roars back and wins the next four. I said in the last round that Vegas is a team that seems to be able to take a punch because they'll take that punch to figure out 
how to figure out your weaknesses. My question is going to be, what's game three like for Vegas? Because we know what Montreal brings. We know how they're going to play. We know what they're going to do. What I'm curious about is how Vegas plays. Are they going to play to try to match Montreal style? Or are they going to play more Vegas hockey and try to be exploitive where possible? It's going to be very... I'm fascinated with tonight's game. I think it's going to be... I'm sorry, tomorrow night's game. It's going to be great. What seems to happen with Montreal is that first thing you said. Everybody kind of plays to their style once they have the lead. Because the front running... This this other point you made, the front running that Montreal does is so true because I believe in their eight wins, in each of their eight wins, they've scored the first goal. So when they get up one one nothing in the playoffs so far, they're 8-0. and And every Man. time they don't score the first goal, they're 0-7 uh, uh, it would be. No, zero and four, zero and four. They would be so eight and four when they score. Well, they the they won nine now, so it's got to be nine and zero now, right? Yeah, I guess nine and zero. Yeah, so it's it's unbelievable. Once this team gets a lead, what they do to the other team. I don't know if it's confidence or if it's the system they they put in place once they're ahead of a goal, but that every single time they get the lead, they shut it down and they win the game and they find a way for the other team to play into their hand. And I hope if Vegas wants to win the series, they can't do that. I want to say a few things. One, I found, I think, the most niche hockey website I've ever found, NHLsweeps.com. I don't know if this is fully up to date, but there have been 156 conference final series. I assume that's what this falls under on account of it's the third round. Only 26 sweeps, Adam. So that's only 16.67. Why did it have to be 67% of the time? (laughs) Montreal... All-time record for sweeps with 22 and only been swept five. Toronto Maple Leafs, not surprisingly, are three and nine in that category. How are they in game sevens? Tell me about that. Oh, well, that would have to be NHLGameSevens.com or whatever. Um, On the note of the Habs holding a lead, uh, and I said this on the stream, they are so much better at holding a lead when they get it early because they don't let off the gas. They, they kept scoring. They kept the offense going. They did that in the first mm-hmm. high-flying style. They did that in the second high-flying style. What do they do in the third? They completely shut it down, and Vegas gets a couple goals. Now, Petro, it was one of those goals was in the second, but they allow a couple goals. Mm-hmm. Game five against the Leafs, yes, they won, but they blew a three-goal lead. Game six against the Leafs, yes, they won, but they blew a two-goal lead. All those goals, with the exception of Petro scoring in the last 20 seconds, I think, are in the third period. Mm-hmm. So there is a flaw to the style. The real key to their style, uh, you're, you're way too focused on X's and O's, guys. There is a course called the Religion of the Montreal Canadiens. I believe oh. they offer it at McGill University. Cool. Okay. And I wish I could get the notes for the class on Voodoo, where they put a curse on one of the team's top two centers. Mm-hmm. The, <laughs> Montreal right now is 3-0 and at knocking out the other team's first line center. How? How? <laughs> Tavares? Fluke? Shifley? First suspension of his career. Chandler Stevenson? Also out. So now they got Alex Tuck, um, who's supposedly going to audition on the uh, Vegas Golden Knights first line, who were, I got to say, invisible. I, I, yeah. I don't know what the numbers said. Mm-hmm. They didn't look dangerous at all to me. Patches, they did have that one two-on-one where he hit the post. They did look dangerous there. Um, but other than that. And so it's going to be Patches, Tuck, and Stone on the first line. I believe so, yeah. Which is pretty cool, but 
Where's the rest of your offense? How, how have you felt about the Carlson line? Uh, I mean, I was amazed at how little any Vegas forward had an impact, really. Tuck, I thought, was good. Mm-hmm. I noticed him a lot. Um, but it all came from the back end. It was Petro. It was Martinez. Um, I'm trying to think of the other good plays I saw. White Cloud is, again, struggling a little bit. I do sometimes feel bad for the young guys on these teams that make it really deep into the playoffs because they look like liabilities and they're actually really, really good players. It's just the standard is so high. You know who I was so low on in 2018? Cause he had a bunch of mistakes and I was like, Oh my God, this guy's such a liability out there with Shea Theodore mm. in the Stanley cup final. And he was young guy in the league, uh, getting an opportunity that he never got previously young guy on an expansion team and, you know, giveaways or just poor decisions knows how to put up points. And now he's a little bit more refined and that's kind of white cloud right now. But um, Vegas's forwards lines one through four uh, have to be better because I just all their off the, the defense had to do everything. It seemed. Yeah. It's also yeah. encouraging that the first things when we talk about Montreal, it isn't just, Oh, Carey price stole the game. Like we didn't come on here and just be like, oh, Carey Price, unbelievable. He had an amazing game and that's why they won. No, they're getting some play up and down the lineup and they have a great system amongst their forwards and defense and they're really winning these games. But let us not diminish what Carey Price has brought. Because yes, because in the third that, period, he was oh, great. Holy shit, that final two minutes. Wow. Yeah. That was crazy. Well, crazy. and that stop, who is that stop on there? Because I don't have the broadcast audio during the game i was like oh goal what <laughs> and then i'm like oh it went off the crossbar and then you watch it he actually got a piece of it that might have been patch as well i i don't remember but like mm. <laughs> he's he is money in the bank for three spectacular saves a game yes like just yeah he's gonna stop high danger scoring chances but i mean how did that not go in scoring yes. chances and am i alone in saying i don't think he looked comfortable at all in the first period and vegas no, first really two it was, it was like iffy for price and then the third period on just out of nowhere he was great and vegas blew it like i really i was watching him move around and i'm like oh my god they're and they they mustered uh four shots mm-hmm. yeah i think yeah they they actually weren't that out chanced in terms of um uh attempts on net but, oh, my God, uh, it's a struggling goalie, no matter what their name is, and you only get four shots on goal, so you, you can't. And Marc-Andre Fleury, who, I mean, is a huge part of what Vegas is going to do. I mean, they caught him, I think it was goal number two, uh, where he was sort of in transition, like he's moving his pads to this. He, he's coming across the top of the crease, and I forget who scored it, but it was it was basically off the face-off. To Foley. To Foley. That's it, yes. Yeah. And they catch him in transition now. like that. And I think, you know, if, if I'm either of these teams – I look at the ages of these goalies and the injuries they've suffered. And it, it's, it's, not a, it's not a particularly nice thing to bring up, but this is how you kind of got to look at it. Where are Carey Price and Marc-Andre Fleury's weaknesses going to be? It's going to be in your side-to-side movement. doesn't yeah. mean that they can't. doesn't mean they're not world-class, both of them. But if there is going to be a, a weakness, you would think with the hips and the knees and the groins and the fact that they're both, was Price 33, 34 now? And Something like that. Marc-Andre Fleury's 37. You know, that's just time. Yeah, you lose a little bit of that flexibility with age. You do. You do. So it's interesting to see that sort of happen a little bit too. And I wonder, I saw a lot of crisscross sort of stuff, especially from Vegas, 
on Montreal. And Carey Price, I think, in the second period just had this spectacular um, kick save with, uh, with his right foot. And I forget who had it. And everybody thought it was in. Everybody thought it was in. The entire arena got up, and it did not go in. And they hadn't even scored a goal at that I point yet. But it might have been. Who knows? It, it was a Petrangelo uh, pass. Who I think he had a good game. The, he did. Um, the thing is, it seems like that's what Vegas is trying to do. They're trying to make carry price move back and forth but if you can't get anything going in the offensive zone the way montreal is the four check everything else you're never going to make carry price move i never going to make a move they do a really good job of generating traffic too which just makes it really hard to commit um you know going one way or the other and you know how every year the stanley cup winner has third or fourth liners who you notice yes Every year. Fun. Yeah, like Maroon was sort of that for the Lightning. Yanni Gord was a, was a guy deep in the lineup who I was absolutely in love with uh, last year. 2018 with the Capitals. It was uh, Brett Connolly and Devontae Smith-Pelly. Boy, is Joel Armia giving the Montreal Canadiens that. He really is giving them that. Mm-hmm. This, this big guy able to contribute um, deep in the lineup. Everyone's focused on Corey Perry because, you know, name brands are still big. Um, but as feisty as he is, I'm noticing him slow down and it's Armia who is, uh, just a bull in a China shop in front of the net. They it's there's, I really am, uh, just fascinated because we all agree Vegas is, I mean, Vegas should be the favorite in this series. Tampa should be the favorite in the other. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with saying that one is the, are the reigning champs. The other finished second in the league. Um, and Montreal style is just so simple. Like to, to me, I don't really think there's anything complex to what they do. It's just, they do it extraordinarily well. Mm-hmm. They do it so well. I, I'm, I'm just fascinated to see if it continues to work because there's seven wins away from the cup. I have a question. Adam wild. Yes. Are you willing to double down? <laughs> they will win too. <laughs> oh, will, yeah? will well, Montreal win, win another? Will they win another game? This oh series? man. Oh man. That's a good question. It's a good question. I think they win game one of game four or five. Okay. So I do think they'll win another game based on what I saw yesterday. I could be. And if I'm wrong about that, then I'm wrong about that. But uh, <laughs> I, I mean, Vegas should have come in and, and crushed them. And the fact that they aren't, I think says a lot about Montreal, but it says even more about Vegas. Maybe they're not, I, I don't know, maybe they're not as sharp as they were in the last round, but you just took out the Avs and the Canadians are giving you this much trouble. I don't know. Man, losing, I don't care how good you are. If And I don't care how good you are and I don't care how good your number one center is. If mm-hmm. you lose that player, it's you're going to have such a hard time adapting. Yep. You're going to have such a hard time adapting. Yep, which makes me think. I keep looking at Vegas and going, "Boy, they could use a Jack Eichel, couldn't they?" <laughs> oh, yeah. Like they need, they That's need a possibility. Hundred percent. Yeah. I hate that it's a possibility. So of course much. it is. Of course it is. Um, are are we transitioning to Eichel? Well, yeah. Do you want to go to the Islanders? Uh, let's do that. Okay. So, uh, because we have to keep things moving on the Friday show a little bit faster. Yes. Um. Okay. So, Lightning and Isles, and and I think Jesse. There's a couple of things that you said last episode that are actually were like, it was prescient is the word <laughs> I would use. Mm-hmm. Uh, first off, I think this game takes on a completely different, um, a completely different uh, look 
if Palmieri is able to convert in the first period in that ridiculous save that Vasilevsky made. I think it's a different game. Different Best game. Best goaltender in the world. He's there it is. unbelievable. Yeah, and and not a question. Um, and the fans were just ballistic, like right off the top, already singing, like it was great. Um, but what I have to say is that fucking Blake Coleman assist. In what world is that fair? Pops it up <laughs> and then, like, you know, just just baseballs it over to Yanni Gord, who happens to be at like not enough people are talking. Everybody's focused on what Blake Coleman did with the puck. Look at where Blake Coleman puts the puck. He puts it at like a, a 75 degree, like that way angle. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the fact that Yanni Gord was already on that side of the net, the fact that Blake Goldman was basically able to bend the puck around himself and around the goaltender to get it to him. Like it's that, it's crazy that the puck even got there. Did you call him honest. Blake Goldman? Oh, that's what I thought I heard you oh say. God. Oh. What I thought I heard you say. Oh. Here, I'm watching it right now. Oh my God, that's so ridiculous. And mm. you know what? You know what, Adam? It's not even the most impressive lightning assist of this series, and we're three games in. Like, well, and and it comes off of if you, if you rewind that play, and I forget the defenseman that makes the initial pass, but it goes back to what Jesse, uh, the point Jesse made last episode with um, the lightning, and it was the headman pass all the way down the ice to I think it was Kucherov, but I don't remember. Yeah, it was Kucherov, and then Kucherov fed it over to this, I who scored that pass. This is goal a was Cernak. Cernak. Yeah, Cernak's so the one who has the breakout. Yeah, It's the blue line to blue line pass. Okay. And you know what's interesting about the Lightning? Their transitions through the neutral zone are so, and again, I compare everything to the Leafs, whatever. We, we watch the Leafs a lot. Their transitions through the neutral zone are so much faster. Yeah. They're so much quicker. The Leafs would have carried the puck all the way up. And what that does is it allows opposing defenses to line up on the blue line and go, you're not coming through. And for the Leafs, it's like we either dump this or we whatever. But what the Lightning are doing, and Jesse pointed this out, they're spreading you deep and wide. And you can only have – it's hard to play man on man. It really yeah, is. And when the Islanders' strategy is to challenge the puck, the Lightning be able to do that with their speed. It's just – it's such an advantage that they can break down the Islanders' defense like that and get these goals. I wonder if, if Barry Trotz moves to a little bit more of what the system was in Nashville – which, he, you know, they had the puck challenging thing, but they were much more of a zone defense from what I remember when he was like back there back in the day. And that team didn't re- really have a lot of talent on it at the beginning. I wonder if that's the only way that the Islanders can combat this because they're not, they know coming into this, they can't outscore the Lightning if we're playing back and forth hockey. You're running gun. Well, how about, how about the Lightning with their defense in the third period? It's 13 shots total. Islanders in a period they were losing the entire time, only mustering eight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't even their uh, worst period because uh, they only had seven in the first. The Lightning, man, they're no joke. They're no, really they're not. It, that's, that's another thing I noticed about the uh, when comparing it to the Leafs and the watch the play with the Lightning. I was like, the Leafs wouldn't be able to keep up with this team, especially no. on something like, like the power play. When the Lightning get a power play, they had another power play goal last night. When they get it, it's just it's inevitable that they're going to score or at least they're going to have eight different chances where you think a goal is going to go in. And they did it again last night where it's, they get a power play and the, uh, and the Islanders are like, all right, here it is here. It's going to come. There's a goal on the board. So you're playing, you're not only, you got to play a little timid because you can't take a penalty against this team is that affects the entire game. When you have this guy, this, this team that can just score at will, it seems. Mm-hmm. And to, to make it about the Leafs for just a moment, <laughs> a moment longer, um, that that's part of the reason why looking at the Canadian division, looking at how they finished first, looking at blah, 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 all the stuff that we keep talking about them making the final four 
is exciting because you're one of the final four to win the Stanley Cup. I'd still yep. be cheering for them to win the Stanley Cup. But even if they got their asses kicked, they made it to the third round and someone beat them in five or something like that. Just the experience of, oh, holy shit, there's <laughs> another gear to this. Yeah. God, what are they... Like, they're not even going to get that experience. <laughs> so, like, even if they find a way to win around next year, they're going to be naked. No, I just, no, Steve, they'll they'll get the experience. They'll just get it with other teams. <laughs> just, <laughs> uh, I really do hate it. I really do hate these Oh, guys. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, you, this is what people, when Montreal fans are all in my DMs, and I, I totally get it. Uh, they're like, ah, oh, you're salty, you're salty. Like, I'm salty about the Leafs, of course. I, like it really, it is, it's frustrating. They should be there. And, uh, you know, I think um, when you look at how the Islanders and, and Lightning play, though, you know, I, I mean, the Leafs wouldn't stand a chance against the Islanders, Islanders defense. I don't think so. No, no, I, I don't no. think, I, I don't think the Leafs would be able to contain the Lightning offense. You know, you could beat Vasilevsky maybe a couple times a game, maybe. But like, you'd need Matthews and Marner to be on fire to do it uh, there's and, too many different ways to beat the leafs it yeah. seems you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i know and we gotta stop making it about the leafs easy. it's too depressing <laughs> i got a lot of messages from people who are like you guys are going uh, a little too hard at the leafs i'm like at what nope. point nope. at what point do we like this is five years now at what point do we go hard at the leafs five years right. you guys are going a little too hard on wiley coyote what are you talking about? Catch a bird ever. <laughs> You're a failure of a coyote. No matter what Acme product you purchase, you still won't catch the purple bird. You're a failure, Wiley. Would you criticize Charlie Brown for kicking the football, trying to kick the football? I would. Like, at what point does <laughs> Linus pull him aside and go, Lucy is untrustworthy? Like, <laughs> at what Linus is a shitty friend, but he has maturity issues too with the blanket. Let's talk about right. let's talk about Linus actually being a shitty friend. Yeah, he is. Yeah, Nobody's, nobody can talk to Charlie Brown. Just tell him to ease off well, a little. Linus is kind of stoic and 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 kind of lets things. He's like a live and let live kind of person. I think you guys have got to put the onus squarely on the person that keeps missing the football, which is Charlie Brown. Yeah. How many? Shame on me if you fool me once. Fine. If Lucy did that once, fine. But every episode, every year in. Yeah. Well. Yes, but like you you guys are a huge support system for me. Like I rely on you guys. Like at what point does Charlie Brown go, you remembered that Bible verse in the Christmas episode, but you don't remember my number? You, you know, send me a text. Say, I, I, dude, I saw that you were going to hang out with Lucy again. Don't do it. Don't do it. Like and, and, oh, I, I think it's just that Charlie Brown simps for Lucy, right? Like that's what it is. And so he does. She's so willing toxic. to accept. He's willing to accept some bad treatment because he's simping. Lucy is toxic because yeah, she offers he pays her for psychological help and then she psychologically damages him. Yes. Yeah. It's it's like such so a pyramid scheme. So many relationships we've all been in. Yeah. Lucy definitely messages like Peppermint Patty and all them and like, hey girly, I just want to tell you about this really cool opportunity. Lucy sucks. <laughs> hey bestie. Lucy's toxic. Should we talk? To, should we talk about Snoopy not being the best pal and just tapping on the shoulder and being like, hey, Charlie? Well, Snoopy, OK, so Snoopy is mostly ignored by Charlie Brown. Let's be honest. Right. <laughs> he's he's irresponsible. It's his best <laughs> friend, though. Is it? 
Does Snoopy really? St- I thought Snoopy and Woodstock were best friends. Oh, they yeah, seem to be a good buddy support system. Snoopy yeah. and Charlie Brown. It's like we live in the same house, but you know, it's like siblings that just never click. There are people that have siblings. It's like I barely talk to them. I just don't get along with them that well, and that's fine. It's like their family that didn't choose each other. So they're, wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Wow. You happens. just ruined the relationship. With Snoopy I, th- I am merely going off what I saw on the screen. And Snoopy for me is his own man. And he's, uh-huh. he's probably looking at what Charlie Brown's doing with Lucy and going, man, I can't respect that. Can't respect that. And I know he's not going to listen to me anyway. So I'm just going to pretend to be the Red Baron. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to go off and live in my own little world. He never, Charlie Brown never once looked out of his bed, went, bedroom window and went Snoopy sitting on the roof. Of his doghouse and shooting other airplanes down in World War One. What's going yeah. on? <laughs> yeah, he like, did do that. Did do that. <laughs> he never the flying a doghouse plane. Yes, <laughs> fighter that pilot. <laughs> whole show is just full of oblivious people. It is. It is a bit disjointed too. I have That's to why say. Lucy takes advantage of all of them. Oh, um, because she's smart. Yeah, and friggin' who plays the piano? Schroeder. Oh. Schroeder. Yeah, and he just sits it? there. He, he seems smart, doesn't tell anyone anything. And that, that poor kid who needs a shower that just no one dumps a bucket of water on, like he just walks <laughs> around and there's like a cloud of dirt that follows him. And I'm like, can someone offer him a bath? Like, Pig pen. Really? Pig pen. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Poor kid. Like family's <laughs> clearly like just not, not pushing him to bath, you know, and or bathe. And like, I think it's important that maybe someone help him out. Also, but it's, he, he, he needs a friend too. Yeah. His friggin' name is P- Pig Pen. <laughs> And where is, why did his parents name him that? I, I think it's a nickname and he's got a lack of confidence and he goes, you know, what's even the point? So he just doesn't bathe mm. and he commits to the bit. And it's like, that's not what you have to be, Pigpen. Maybe if he bathed, he could be the friend Charlie Brown needs. Mm-hmm. If only Linus would I think, speak up. I think Pigpen's name is Pigpen. I don't think it's a nickname. I think I his think, parents are assholes. What You know what they all need, all those kids need is, is someone new to come to town and just be like, you are all loved and valued. Mm-hmm. Also, <laughs> would change their lives, and and they would also um, kick Lucy off the show. They should have just named Franklin Token. <laughs> <laughs> Jesse, what? South Park did it. Was, yo, I didn't even know that was his name. Here's but, why, Jesse. <laughs> that's why Jesse's right. I was like, yeah, which one's Franklin? Uh, <laughs> South Park ah. did it, so oh Charlie Brown could have been years ahead. <laughs> Maybe Franklin's why. I want to die. <laughs> just what? So uh, my favorite Charlie Brown line. Adam, <laughs> this is very good. Just, I don't know what to do with this. Oh my God. We went, like, no, I, don't, we went I don't know what to do. What am I supposed to do with that? Jesse, like, you can't. Uh, tell me, tell me I'm wrong. a really complete team. I, I <laughs> think I'm wrong. You're not. You're Thank Jesse you. is correct. Thank you. You're not wrong. Now, Jesse It was has... 1942 when they were like, oh. hey, here's token. Never mind. I won't get into it. Given the context, <laughs> we shouldn't be entirely surprised, but all the same, it's a real fucking shame. Um, I, I do want to say uh, uh, that uh, Jesse has requested a couple minutes to discuss GM of the year. The nominees yeah. came out. By the way, um, to all the Canes fans who were in our mentions saying, see, we told you Rod Brindamore wasn't going to leave. Okay, might have been closer than we think. By the way, Rod Brennamore only making $1.8 million. Mm-hmm. Tom Dundon won. Well, oh, the quote know. was that it wasn't about his salary. It was about the salary around, around him. And hopefully they actually, they actually solved that. Yeah. Jesse, I'm going to need you to say that again. <laughs> it wasn't about 
Rod Brindamore's salary. It was about paying all of the staff around him. Here it is. Here it is. He took less money so that everyone else who works with him could receive the right amount of salary. And not everyone has to do that, but wouldn't you agree that Rod Brindamore is uniquely in a position to I do think that? Rod yes, Brindamore, he's made hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah. Well, at least he, I think he made Tens. 50 or 60 during his career. Yeah. This is what I told you, Steve. You make the money first and then you go try to win a cup. You yeah. spend the deal. I was, Everybody's I was like, only saying it of guys who aren't making the money. Spezza, Spezza, the quote that, that killed me, by the way, and I know you're going to get two minutes here, Jesse, give me a second. Mm-hmm. So, I don't, the quote, yeah, when, when Spezza resigned, and I, I know that that was news that broke, so I guess we should quickly hit on it. Spezza resigned, and he's like, I would accept less money if they would allow me to. I just want to play on a good team. He's staying in Toronto. We know the Kraken aren't going to take him because we know he'd instantly retire. It's, it's just one of those things that he wants to be a Leaf. He wants to be in Toronto. He wants to be in his hometown. That's great. And I'd, everybody... I'd Oh, sorry. Everybody took that quote and turned it around on Mitch Marner. And, I, and to a smaller extent, Austin Matthews. Now, to be fair, I don't think that is fair. Jason Spezza made his money. Jason Spezza made like 60 or $70 million over the course of his career. He's great. Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, when those guys signed those deals, they had not made that kind of money. And I, at least in Austin Matthews' case, I think he's worth $11 million. I think he is. Uh, Mitch, I think is a little overpaid at what he is, but you know, it's by a couple million. He's still going to be a $9 million player, but Steve, I guess your point is why squeeze the extra 2 million out when you really didn't need to, because you can make it elsewhere. I get it, but you do have to go get that money. Look at Spezza. Everybody's like, Oh, he looks great. Well, Spezza's not 22. Okay. So let's just, let's go easy on the guys, at least in that regard. I do want to say, Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Rod Brindamore uh, from CapFriendly.com estimated career earnings fifty two thousand four hundred or sorry fifty two million four hundred and thirty five thousand, and this this says a lot about salaries. His first year in the league ninety ninety one he had a base salary of one hundred and sixty thousand dollars. Oh my god! Um, his final season of his contract. Wait, one, two, three, four. He had a very very long first like contract five or seven or five to seven years wasn't it it was uh 10 by the looks 10? of it 2000 oh. 2001 he was making 4.25 and he got bought out what the hell you don't buy out rod the bod how dare you anyway sorry go ahead. yeah so uh uh in that in that same vein um i saw a tweet today and i want to run it by you guys and then we're gonna get to the gm thing mm-hmm. should an tweet? 11 should an 11 million dollar goal score need an $11 million playmaker? Should an $11 million playmaker need an $11 million goal scorer? That's uh, from, I believe, Active Stick, Oak Leafs. Should those yeah, two $11 million need a backup $11 million center? Listen, you asked that sarcastically. That's a legit question. I think it's a fair question. It's a fair question, and... Listen, I listen. If it, I wasn't anyone, actually, I wasn't actually asking it sarca- sarcastically. Okay. I thought it was actually quite smart. No, I know someone who has to negotiate with these guys. I don't have a name in mind, but someone who was in that position would look at their production and go, "So, which one of you is the straw that stirs the drink?" I can only pay the straw. It's got to be one of you. Which one is it? 
Which one is it? Is it, is it I, Kyle? <laughs> is it, it's, it can only be one of them. It can only be one of them. I, I, I keep saying it. It's nothing against any single player on the Toronto Maple Leafs. They can't do this. They can't do this with this salary structure. There was maybe a situation where they could have. And the this pandemic. Year. This year would have been the year. Well, this year would have been the year. Uh, and moving forward, if the salary cap kept going up. So when unnamed negotiator goes through that conversation, Steve, what happens if truculent agent says, well, my guy is the guy and you've already signed the guy that isn't, which is what truculent agent actually did. Yeah. You trade them. Did you want a more complex answer? (laughs) You trade trade them. Do you give them the contract and then trade them or do you trade them in that moment? Trade them in that moment. That would have been, I think a little, I think you would have, been upset if Mitch Marner was traded uh, before signing that deal. Yeah, and then he would have signed for $12 million with the Columbus Blue Jackets, and I would have been like, oh, never mind. And then- you know, it does seem like there it's an unstoppable force meeting an immovable object right now. It might, not be, it might not end up being the case, but it just does seem like there's going to be, in the next 18 months, one of those four is moving. Has to. And like, again, it's nothing against the player. Reality changed. Reality changed. The cap would be approaching. It probably would have been around 85 this season. It'd be over 90 by the time his contract was done. Maybe even a hundred. It's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen, fellas. Well, what about the we can and we will? It's a quote. It's a stupid quote. You trade the guy and wear it. And you erase the conversation about it by having a fantastic hockey team. But no. The other thing I would say is that he did keep them and they didn't perform. So the quote's true. We can and we will. The quote or the question was, could he resign them? He did. Yeah, but you're more susceptible to this shit. Mm -hmm. Just like Myrtle said, uh, you're more susceptible to this by having... I'm going to say three guys. William Nylander's not fair. I mean, I understand that he started the sequence of events. He's making seven, not 11. It's it's just not the same. Mm-hmm. He's also um, performed like a $7 million player. That's the whole thing. If Mitch, Marner, if Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, and John Tavares all performed at the, uh, at the level of their contract, the amount they're getting paid, then we wouldn't complain. William Nylander showed up in the playoffs and during the regular season, especially yep. uh, in the 1920 season, he was unbelievable. He was way above his pay grade or at it, at least. He's so at I, it, no, at least. At it, at least. So nobody's complaining about that deal. No, it's a good deal. Yeah, it's just we're a good deal. It's, it's, about the 11 because he hasn't performed like 11. And you say, well, in the playoff, in the, sorry, in the regular season, guys, a top five score in the NHL. Mm. So, and the regular season's what they're paying for, technically. <laughs> so anyway, Epics. Jesse, what did you want to say? We'll move on from the Leafs and the depression that follows that. What did <laughs> you want to say about the GM of the year? You, wanted, you, you requested, I want two minutes. Probably don't even need two minutes. What grinds my beard with Jesse Blake? <laughs> GM of the year nominee finalists came out this week. Mm-hmm. It's Mark Bergevin, Lula Morello, and Bill Zito of the uh, Florida Panthers. New York Islanders and Montreal Canadiens. 
in a league where they screw up everything, somehow they continue to screw up everything and top themselves each and every time. Do you guys know when the GM of the year award is voted on? I bet it was two minutes ago. They vote on it at the end of the second round because that makes complete sense because the NHL runs this league. So they would pick this arbitrary point at the end of the second round. They say, all right, ballots are closed. Not at the end of the season or at the end of the playoffs. No, in the middle of the playoffs where clearly you're going to get biased opinions because of recency bias and the things that are happening in the playoffs affect the decisions of the voters. So you get maybe Mark Bergevin, who finished, what, 18th in the regular season, become a GM of the year candidate. It makes zero sense to hold voting at the end of the second round. And I don't understand why anyone would do that. That's all I want to say. Can I say that the two, I would say two of the three picks, God, maybe even three, don't make sense, <laughs> but they are right to vote on this and only this award at the end of the second round. Why? That's, that's my hot take today because playoff performance matters. So do it at the end of the playoffs. Jesse, I'll meet you there. Yeah, I'll meet so you there. That, that's what I'm saying. Don't pick the middle of the playoffs. Oh, or- the middle is silly. It, that's all I'm. That's all I'm trying oh, to say. I thought you were saying it should be at the re- end of the regular <laughs> no, season. No, no, no. no, no, I, no, think, no. I think it should be um, the day before free agency opens. Like go to go all the way to the draft. Do the full. <laughs> do the full. If it's a GM award, also first of all, the GM of the year award is the Stanley Cup. Like that's Jeff that's Merrick. where quote. That's where yeah. it goes. That's from Jeff Merrick. The Speaking GM of which, the year award. it we need to have him on. Oh yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. We, we need to have Jeff on. We need to have Elliot on. We need to get these guys back on. Let's it's do it. Too long. I, I think it's it comes down to being afraid to ask. You know what I mean? I'm not afraid <laughs> to ask. What the hell? I was afraid to ask. I was afraid. I remember when Chris Johnson first walked in. Like, remember the first episode with Chris Johnson? I was like, I cannot believe this man is making time for us. This is like I remember Rick the first James. episode with David He's Alter. I was like, orange. like when we first had David Alter on back in the day, like before even Jesse was out. I was like, why? Why would anyone make time for this show? You know what I mean? And it was just so, you know, I kind of, I kind of get like fearful of asking now CJ and I are friends like he is with all of us. And it's like, we can ask him, but you kind of get, you kind of get freaked out sometimes. Like, oh, I, I bother American Fridge all the time. Oh, so, okay. oh I'm yeah, Steve. Let's, let's, oh, sorry. I mean, I meant Jeffy boy and E-Dog. <laughs> so, so along those lines, okay. Can I, can I make the argument, Jesse, that I think that you, if you're going to make the GM vote GM of the year, it's not GM of the regular season. Like Hart Trophy makes sense to vote on after game 82 because it's the best player in the regular season, your most valuable player to their team. I get that. And then you get the con Smythe in the playoffs for the MVP of the playoffs. Why wouldn't you, or why wouldn't you have it at the end of the Stanley Cup finals and you include the previous year's draft because those players, like when the Leafs drafted Austin Matthews, he played that year. That's so all. Could, that, that's all I'm asking. Just put. Yeah. Just don't put it in the middle of the playoffs. Put it at the end. What What did Lou do this year? Big move wise. I need to. I need to go look at this because what did the Islanders do? And it's not because the Islanders are. I mean, look at them. They're in the top four. Good for them. Mm-hmm. But okay. I don't. You think that's on the players and Barry Trotz more than anything? We We can have We can have a conversation about whether or not the trade for Devon Taves or trading away Devontae's was good. 
Mm-hmm. Here's my question. What about trading Devon Taves made the Islanders better? I don't think it made them better. Well, exactly. Right. And that's like one of the most significant moves they made. So they traded him to Colorado for a 2021 second. And it's supposed to be a pretty odd draft. Uh, and a 2022 second. That's for Devon Taves. Now they did it for cap reasons. So you could say, well, it makes them better because of the cap. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. Well, if there's an absence of evidence, that doesn't necessarily mean that it that the truth is there. Do you know what I'm saying? Right. right. So here, just because you don't have evidence doesn't mean that you can make that decision. Lou they, also acquired Palmieri and Zajac at this trade yeah, he deadline. Did. He did. Okay. That's so the thing that happened. It was, they made five deals mm-hmm. uh, since the end of last season. Uh, they got AJ Greer for Kyle Burrows. Um, they got two seconds for Devon Taves. They traded future considerations for Dimitro Timoshov. Oh, there's a name. Uh, and then they ditched AJ Greer, who they got from the Colorado Avalanche, along with Mason Jopes, a 2021 first and a 2022 conditional for Kyle Palmieri and Travis Zajac. And they also acquired Braden Coburn from the Sens for a 2022 seventh. So, like, did he get nominated for GM of the year because they got Palmieri, Zajac, and are in the final four? Yeah. Also, Lou won it last year. I don't know if you guys yeah, remember. he did. He was the GM of the year last year for doing not much either. Well, he got Varlamov to replace Leonard. Uh, oh, last year, you mean? I was like, he yeah. did? That was... No, last year. Uh, and he signed Barzal in the offseason. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think if you look at if you're looking at the teams that did the best, the idea that the Lightning, like Breezewa, is not in there with the magician shit that he pulled. Are you kidding? Like really? And and I'll give Bill Zito credit. I think Bill Zito deserves some credit for managing that situation because listen, it's not easy to say we're not dressing our ten million dollar goaltender. We have two others that are better. Um, you know. Like, I don't That's, think Bill Zito even signed that contract. I think that was, wasn't that a Dale Talon? But no, it wasn't Zito. It wasn't Zito. Yeah. It so wasn't it Zito. must have been Talon. So, you know, and then, and then I look at what, um, I, I mean, I, I honestly, the, the problem I have with it too is that it, it, it ignores all the teams that didn't make the playoffs that had great years. Like, I'm not trying to take away from Bergevin. Um, because I actually think Mark Bergevin probably had the best offseason of every, of any general manager especially with Toffoli. What a great pickup that's been. Um, and I yeah. think the Josh Anderson deal, it was surprising how many people were cool with it. I'm still not convinced, but it was a bold move. And he moved the to depreciating asset. Wasn't very good. The team wasn't very good, but Max Domi wasn't working out. He was able to get a good player for him. And it, but like, what, look at what, and maybe this is coming in the future, but look at what the senators were in the back half of the season. How is yeah. Pierre Dorian not in there? I'm, like, well, like so I'm trying to find writer, who write, who votes on this. The writers. That's a good question. That is a good question. I'm Go trying ahead. to find. I thought it was. I thought it was wish, but I guess not. Um, uh, Dorian did get votes. The voting or, for or the was award. It DJ Smith. I think it was DJ Smith got for coach. Voting for the award is conducted among league GMs and a panel of league executives and media following the second round. Okay, this is wild. Sorry. For coach of the year, uh, DJ Smith was tied with John Cooper and John Hines. What? 
Uh, okay. Yeah. John Cooper. He's, he's him and DJ Smith. They are the same. <laughs> yeah. What is your criteria? There's a, well, one coaches a team that finished second last in their division. And the other is the coach of a team in the final four who won the cup last year. I don't know. It's just the criteria is team that overachieved. But it shouldn't be. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be. be. That's why I'm like, okay, if you look at who's building, I think the GM of the year has got to go, at least one guy's got to get in there who's building the team of tomorrow. And that's why I think Dorian should have got some con- consideration for that. Like that, yeah. the Sens were a, if, if the Sens had played that way all year, they're in the playoffs. They yeah. are. No, no, the record is what it is. Yeah, no, they I know. Had they gone to 82, the Sens are probably, probably going to make the playoffs. They're an interesting team for next season because, like, the discussion uh, I heard, I, I can't remember what show it was on, but it was basically like once we return to normal divisions, the Leafs are going to be in tough to make the playoffs even next season. Well, because you've got Tampa, Boston, Florida, and Montreal in your division, and then Buffalo, Detroit. And then Buff, oh, yeah, Buffalo, Detroit, just forget it. <laughs> like, I expect, I believe it or not, to expect both teams to take a step. Even Buffalo after they trade Eichel, Detroit will. Buffalo will not. Buffalo is going to take a step back this year. They're going to get. They're going to get worse from 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 what? A step back from what? They are hinging. uh, Fridge said yesterday on uh, on a radio hit that he thinks the the Buffalo staff see this draft as a way for them to have an edge because no one's taking it seriously, which I think is a kind of a good strategy for a team without with no options. Like that's just the one option available to them. Here's what no one's considering: it's hockey, and nothing makes sense. Right. Yeah. So I'm thinking Buffalo's going to make the playoffs. <laughs> That's true. It's a good point. Well, anyway, Jesse, I think you make a really good point. It's su- super silly and it doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We do need to get to the NHLPA player pool before we get into the press conference. Now, uh, is there anything about this that sticks out that you guys want to hit, or should I go through all of these and we can discuss? I think go through through them. Go through them. Yeah. Okay. This is, again, as voted on by the player. The NHL player pool is back with the 2021 edition. Nearly 500 players were surveyed on 14 hockey-related questions during a unique pandemic-shortened season. Players weighed in on a variety of topics covering on-ice skills, the schedule, the player style, and their sticks in their suits and more. Here are the results. On-ice, who is the best goal scorer? In first place, Austin Matthews. Not really surprised he won the Rocket Richard. (laughs) The guy who scored the most goals was voted best goal scorer. But nothing think, gets past these guys. <laughs> I think what's what's great too is Austin can score goals in like six or seven different ways. 
Yeah. That's the thing. He does score goals, like in, insane goals. Uh, Ovechkin in second place, no surprise. Um, surprisingly, in third and fourth, the, it, it's, it's, what's surprising about this is how close they are. Uh, David Pasternak got 6% of the vote. Connor McDavid with 4.56%. So <laughs> less than a percentage point. I mean, Connor McDavid's a pretty good goal scorer. So is David Pasternak. It's hard to overreact because whenever I see that slim a margin, I'm like, okay, we're talking about two or three people. Yeah. Difference. You know what I mean? Yeah. McDavid, he just doesn't get enough respect in that regard. He doesn't Can't get, get enough no respect. respect. No respect. Oh, hey, oh, he's the Rodney Dangerfield of the NHL. <laughs> right. He scores 30 goals, but everybody's like, well, he had 70 assists. We got to focus on that. Yeah. 30 yep. goals is no joke in a 56-game season. No, he plays a dry side. All. It means less. Now, if you're the best player at your position, as voted on by other players, and you're the best by 57%. So <laughs> the next closest guy is 57 points behind you. That's got to be, to me, the Norris Trophy right there. If you're a defenseman. Victor Hedman, 64% of players said he is the best defenseman in the NHL. The next closest is Roman Yossi at 7.35%. That's pretty cool. I think yeah. if you're Victor Hedman, you look at that and go, that might even matter more than the Norris Trophy. I know the trophy's yeah. got a trophy. It's got the thing and the plaques and all the other defensemen are on it, whatever. But when your peers look at you with that much respect... That's pretty cool. It's unbelievable. It's also on that list. Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, and I'm I'm wondering how many of these votes because I I on purpose avoided all these lists so that we could go through them on the show. Oh, nice. I want I wonder how many of these names are there based on reputation because remember, well, they didn't play them this year. Well, interesting you say that because number three, Kale McCarr, seven point three five percent. So he tied Roman Yossi, but I guess they give tie goes to the veteran. At two percent, that's funny. Drew Doughty, the like, fourth. What? So he Drew like, Doughty was voted as the fourth best defenseman in the NHL amongst players, he, he which means that voted all for the, himself. What, well, yeah, the LA Kings voted for Drew Doughty. That's hilarious. And then the and then here's the other one is John Carlson from Washington, which means the Caps voted for John Carlson. Yes, they did. Yeah, confidently. Yes, it doesn't mean he's not good. In fact, I I think Carlson's probably. I mean, Drew Doughty had a comeback year. Let's let's figure it out. What percent of the vote did he get, and how many players are there? Uh, two point seven three percent, and there were five hundred players. Uh, five hundred players surveyed. So five hundred times oh You said? Yep. Yeah, so about thirteen players. Oh, okay. So most of the kings. Yeah. That makes some sense. of them didn't know, which is. <laughs> Man, Muslim I wouldn't might want be to one of them. Doughty after not voting for him. <laughs> Imagine he finds out. Yikes, <laughs> man! I don't want to. I don't want to be in that locker room for that. Um, best goalie. Again, oh. I know the Vesna Trophy has the Vesna name, but if you win best goalie by forty six percent, meaning you're forty six points up on the next closest guy, is that not the greater honor? Yeah. And that honor is this year going to Andre Vasilevsky with 54% of the vote. Especially in hockey where everybody cares about the opinions of hockey people. Like being honored by your peers like this, it probably means a lot to these guys. I think it matters to see when the players play against each other. Mm -hmm. Like the players know. Uh, Andre Vasilevsky is 26, Mm -hmm. turns 27 this July. 
So we are only in the mid twenties of what I am confidently saying is a hall of fame career. Oh yeah. You honestly, you could make the argument now they win the cup again this year. He could retire and you probably could make the argument. Hardware is big. Hardware is big. The next closest guy, by the way, Marc-Andre Fleury at 8.88%, so about 9%. And then you've got Carey Price at 8.25%, Connor Hellebuck at 5%, which is about the Winnipeg Jets, and then Tuka Rask at 4%. By the way, Connor Hellebuck is the second best goalie in the league. If it's Vasilevsky at number one, Hellebuck is number two. You can't tell me otherwise. Jack Campbell gets my vote. Yeah. He like, did win 11 straight games. I mean, record shows says for itself, right? <laughs> I mean, and, and if we're going to go off that, Mike Smith should be in there. He won nine games yeah. in a row, I think. It's like nine, eight, or is it eight? No, we start the season. So, Tuka, wait, so wait, Tuka Rask had a, he was a 913 on the Bruins this year. He didn't even have the best save percentage on the Bruins. Yeah. That's, 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 another, that's a the reputation Bruins voted vote. for Tuka Rask. <laughs> That's a reputation vote, man. Like, and it's I'm, he's not bad. There's another guy who may just end up in the Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. but no, the now best. We, no. Now What's we next? have we have a tie for most complete player. So Jesse, who would you say is tied in first for most complete player in the NHL? Complete being the key word. Crosby McDavid. Crosby McDavid. Steven. Uh, I'm going to say they galaxy brained it just like the rest of us and went, all right, who are the best players? So let's take away the five best ones and go with some of the dudes in the middle. So I think for, I think players treated this like it's the Selkie. Oh, it might be Bergeron. So who's it going to be? It's going to be, we're talking Bergeron. We're talking Barkov. Give me two names. (laughs) (laughs) Those were two names. (laughs) Is, Is that the end of your list? It is now. It wasn't going to be. No. no but yeah, who, else who else are you going to say? Who else are you going to say? Well, Taves used to be the free space, but he didn't play. Screw it. Those two. Well, Steve, you got two and three, right? Jesse, you got Amazing. one. Amazing. You got one right, and you said the second one later. Bergeron. Crosby and Bergeron tied at 23.78% uh, as the most complete players in the NHL. Now, coming in at number three. Alexander Barkov. Oh, wow. Why you go, Steve? At number four, and I'm surprised it's only 7%, Connor McDavid. Because it's the Selkie. Yeah. Is he not? I guess, yeah, defensively. Yeah, you could argue could make, that. You could argue hey, that. Bergeron's a more complete player. Uh, semantics. Ra- rounding out the top six, because there's a top six on this one. <laughs> Nate McKinnon at 5.52% and Unze Kopitar at 4.46%. If you're making this the Selkie, Kopitar needs to rate higher. Oh, God. That's just but the team's not very good. <laughs> reputation vote. I also, McDavid, I think, is shit on too hard for his defensive play. Like, I've seen the numbers. His, his defense is atrocious. But I think. <laughs> but he, they're too hard on him. <laughs> well, they're, they're too hard on him because I think he plays the way he has to for the Oilers. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, if, if he had more support. If the Oilers had more depth up front, like as if Connor McDavid wouldn't buy in and like back check <laughs> and stuff, you know what I mean? He's got to, he's got to feed an army. This guy, mm-hmm. like he's he's got a, uh, I, I, what what percent of Edmonton's offense came off of his stick? Whether it was goals or assists, it was a lot. He's got to do everything. If the day he does not have to do everything. <laughs> 
is the day he becomes a much better defensive player, I think. What? I, I just saw a really funny tweet that I'm going to bring up at the end of the show. Um, and I think you guys are going to really what's, like it. What's I next on the poll? On the I'll list. get it the next on the poll. Uh, stop I'm scrolling listening. Twitter mid-podcast. No, I'm, I'm pulling it. I was, I was actually <laughs> searching something and then something else came up. Okay. Steven. Yes. If you had one, if you had to win one game, it's game seven for the Leafs. Fuck. And you're against Montreal, Columbus, Boston, Boston, Boston. At the same time? <laughs> you have... One player in any position that you want on your team. Who's that player? You get, you get to oh, pick I get to pick it. anyone in the league? Anyone in the league. Is that, is that the question they were asked? That's the question. You have to win I, I one think game. Number one, I think, is going to be Carey Price. Interesting. Yeah, I guess I'm not right. <laughs> no, I'm going to react the exact same way with Steve's guess. Okay. Ready? Boy, that's so hard. I know they lost first round three straight years. I got to go with Sid. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Sid was number two. Connor McDavid at number one with 33%. Oh, wow. Uh, or 36%, excuse me. Sydney had 23. And then, at, and then basically... That's I think fascinating. These were, these were team votes. McKinnon at 5.87. Bergeron at 4.57. Vasilevsky at 4.57. Uh, Patrick Kane at 3.48%. By the way, none of those players are bad picks. No. I just think if you're going to pick someone... Connor McDavid and Sidney Crosby do make the most sense. That's crazy. I think that's fascinating that the players won with McDavid. I think it depends on, too, when the vote happens, because we don't really know that. And I wonder if, you know, looking at it now, if you'd be like, well, Carey Price for sure, Hmm. right? So there were actually two that I saw. One was most fashionable, which I don't know if we'll get to. The other was best passer. So the answer to the question that Adam just said makes the results for best passer even more mystifying. Okay. Interesting. Well, we're going to get to who has the best shot. Should I wait on best pass or should I go right to it? No, do, do best shot. shot. Yeah. Best do, shot? Do shot? Okay. So shot, best o- shot. Ovi. Ovi. Ovi wins. Matthews two. Who's three? Pasta. It's, hard. it's so hard to bet against Ovi, you know? Uh, yeah, probably pasta. Yeah, probably pasta. You guys didn't think about Shea Weber? <laughs> what? <laughs> that cannon? Shea Weber. Crumple it up in a ball, throw it out. (laughs) Shea Weber could kill a man with that shot. I don't know if that makes it the best one. It just makes it the hardest shot. Right. That's so reputation. That's so reputation. Is it accurate? Like it's he keeps it low, but like is 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 Shea Weber picking picking corners? I I don't I know. Scores a shitload, but in the entire National Hockey League? And then number two, Patrick Line, number, sorry, sorry, number two. Mon, number four, Line, number five, McKinnon, number six, Pasternak. Line? Line is, we were, we were uh, wailing on Weber. Line is a horrible pick. You think he's, a, I think he's got what? a good shot. I do too. I do too. But he scored 10 goals this season. Yeah, but who has the best physical shot? What, so I, he just never got open ever. Well, the, the Columbus Blue Jackets were a tire fire this year. You know that. Come on. I guess. I like. You know what Patrick Line can do, Steve. Come on. I know what he can do, but he didn't do it. I honestly okay. didn't think this would spark so much debate. Yeah, you're right. This is dumb. Keep going. No, that's what hockey is, guys. <laughs> this, is awesome. dumb. this is why we do this. This is awesome. All right. Hockey is dumb. Best stick handler. Who do you give it to? Kane's oh. probably in there. Um, Kane. You give it to Kane. Steve, pick one. Probably him. Patrick Kane. Number two. 
Number two. Oh, oh um, I wonder if a guy like Drew is still in there on rep. That's a good guess. So is that's that, a yes. is that correct? That's, that's a our yes. guess. He's one of the five, right? No. Oh, uh-huh. shut up. He's not Kane McDavid. Oh, McDavid. Oh, there you go. Oh. They they took up seventy five percent of the vote. Just those two players. Wow. Uh, and then with the remaining twenty five percent, you have McKinnon, Matthews, Barzal, and Barkov. Uh, the Matthews one is interesting. I know he can really handle the puck, but I don't see him have like, like even Mitch Marner, I would say maybe is a better stick handler than Austin. No. Matthews. Austin's just a big body boy. He does so much stuff in tight Matthews. That's, you know he, what? That's true. That's he true. does it so casually too. Like he just, yeah, maybe that's what it is. He makes it look easy. Like the quick releases yeah. that he does really in tight. And he's able to get so much on the shot. That probably counts when the guys yeah. are thinking about it. You know, he does so many, Oh God, he is. When I talk about the difference between the Islander style of hockey versus you can shut your brain off. I can shut my brain off and ooh and ah at Matthews every shift, even if not a single scoring chance is generated. Like, oh, the stuff he does. I, ah, that's one of the things I miss most about watching the Leafs right now. I miss watching Matthews play. He's so fun. Ugh, I hate them. Uh, Best passer. Now, Steve, what did you want to say about this one? Well, so I don't remember the voting. All I all I remember is that Drysaddle beat McDavid. (laughs) so so backstrom and kane split the vote basically at about 20 percent each although backstrom had a slight edge dry with 18 percent mcdavid with half of that at nine percent oh wow and then it's marner and crosby so what's amazing is i i commented on this and a bunch of oilers fans were like what it's true and i'm like oh like okay again i'm just a leaf fan who watches leafs games uh, I'll I'll trust your judgment. I don't understand how the best playmaker in the league is the second best passer on his team on his line. Maybe it's skill level because uh, the guy who's going to lead assists for the next ten years probably should be the best passer. So what they're saying is he's what I, I saw some responses and they actually they weren't like thick. They they were just like listen, he does things that allow him to be the best playmaker they're talking best passer hmm. so maybe okay. they're talking best skill. stand still pass in the league best skills competition passer i'm surprised they, more defensemen aren't on that list then that's a great point no defensemen on that list yeah that's surprising then if that's Edmund not being about. on that list is interesting right even like at his age eric carlson like at peak, eric carlson is probably the best passer out of yep. the zone yep McCarr yeah. is a good good one. McCarr. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, those are the that's the list. So it's very interesting to see what the players think. Um, and uh, <laughs> I, I actually kind of always like these things because it allows nebulous debate about nothing that doesn't mean anything, but it's kind of fun to get into anyway, right? Yeah. I do, I do think the NHL has an issue with its own stars. We talked about, you know, and we talked about this ad nauseum, but the McDavid getting like steamrolled by the jets in the, in the, in the playoffs and not getting a call. And you know, the fact that Leon Dreisaitl could ever win a heart over Connor McDavid, not anything against Leon Dreisaitl, but they're on the same team. So if you watch the one guy, you must've seen the other guy, right? Like I can see how like, Oh, Crosby beat him this year. Nate McKinnon beat him that year. Okay. But like, he's not even the best player on his team. We need to like prop these guys up a little bit more. I think, I think you can't sell a star enough. You can't do enough to support a star. You need to do more. Here's how good Connor McDavid is. 
Leon Dreisaitl won the Hart Trophy because of Connor McDavid's absence. Oh, yeah, he was <laughs> That's how good he is. Yeah. The fact that McDavid was not there got him the heart. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. And like, yeah, he performed without him for sure. Like, I'm not taking that away from him, but he's the second best oiler. Didn't McDavid still play like 60 games that season? Or he like only missed like 50s? a couple weeks. Yeah. yeah I, I uh, He didn't miss that much time. Oh. It wasn't like when he broke his collarbone. Yeah. Uh, whatever. I mean, we're going a little too deep into the past now, but are we? Are we? Continue. Are we? Anyway, that yeah, is our list. Now, uh, we do want to make a quick mention about what uh, Rick West, head of TSN, uh, reported this week. Now, he, here's what we know, and I'm just going to give you the condensed version. I encourage you to read Rick West Head's article. Uh, we should issue a warning. Yes. So, trigger warning to anybody yeah. uh, that could be potentially. I, I'm sure most people know to what it is I'm referring, but there's this ongoing case where. Former Blackhawks players are alleging that one of their video coaches from the first championship year uh, sexually harassed and uh, also sexually assaulted them now and against their will and then threatened them over text message that bad things would happen to them if they said anything. Uh, What we found out from Rick Westhead's report, and this is the most troubling part, um, because you know, too often you get two sides of the internet looking at a story like this and going, well, all the allegations are unproven. And the other side are going, well, I'll believe the victim. The problem for me in all of this coming right up the center here is that we know that the Blackhawks were made aware of this, of the allegations. And at the time they were asked to go to the police. So the police could conduct their own investigation. They did not report these allegations. And, and if you're one of those people who says innocent until proven guilty, this should bother you. Yes. This should bother you that it wasn't even given an opportunity to be proven innocent or guilty. The Blackhawks said that they conducted their own internal investigation. Whether that's true or not, um, or whether it's to the standard that you would hope it would be or not, uh, is sort of immaterial. They're not a uh, uninvolved third party. It's one organization investigating itself. And that can create a lot of issues as we've seen in the past. Um, And this, you know, the list of people that knew about this and didn't report it, you know, evidently includes Stan Bowman. You know, Mm -hmm. there's there's a a few people in management, but I, you know, notably the biggest name on there is Stan Bowman. Every, Every executive who was on the team in 2010 was aware of this issue. And so this is the problem, right? It's not for, you know, where this case goes is extremely important and landmark. But besides that point, to not even bring the police in, oh, innocent until proven guilty, okay, then put the person on administrative leave and conduct the investigation. There, so sorry, the reason I was looking off is there's, there is a, you should read the whole thing, but there's an excerpt that's very important here. If you're unfamiliar with the story. So the person familiar with the matter who contacted TSN said the two Blackhawks players approached Vincent, a one-time Massachusetts police officer. So Vincent, sorry, I should back up, was an employee with the team. I think oh, he was some sort of skills coach, I want to say. He was a one-time Massachusetts police officer on May 16th, 2010, before the opening game of the Western Conference Finals between Chicago and San Jose. The players allegedly told Vincent 
that on separate occasions, Aldrich, uh, had, who is the video coach who's been accused, um, had gotten them drunk in his apartment, watch pornography, then tried to perform oral sex on them. After the players shared their stories with Vincent, the then Blackhawks skills coach asked Gary, the team's sports psychologist, to follow up with the players, the person said. According to the former Blackhawks players' lawsuit, Gary allegedly convinced at least one of the former players that the sexual assault was his fault, that he was culpable for what happened, and had made mistakes during his encounter with the perpetrator and permitted the sexual assault to occur. On May 17th, the next day, 2010, an off day, and one day after the player shared their story with uh, Vincent, Blackhawks management convened a meeting at the Marriott Hotel in San Jose at about 5 p.m., said the person who contacted TSN. During that meeting, Vincent requested that the team report the alleged assault to Chicago police and asked his colleagues, what would you do if this happened to your son, the person said. Vincent's request was rejected. The person said Aldrich remained with the team through the playoffs and later posed for a photo with the Stanley cup. The person said before he left the Blackhawks, Aldrich worked for the Blackhawks for two seasons beginning in 2008 after he was an assistant coach at the university of Notre Dame in February, 2010. He also worked as a video coach for the U S Olympic team during the winter games in Vancouver. So this guy, I can't remember if we spoke about this on the show before when it first came out. Um, but this guy, I believe went on to work at a school after the Blackhawks. And if I'm not mistaken, he was fired for misconduct along those lines. In 2014, he went to jail for five years for sexual assault and he's now a registered sex offender. So not just for these two players is the not coming forward and going to the police significant. It's now for his actions several years down the line as well for stuff that he was given a chance to prove his innocence and was found guilty and they didn't go to the police. So this is what's at stake here. These are very lofty accusations and it's one of the biggest stories in the sport right now. And no matter where this goes, I bring it back to the original. You, you cannot tell me it's anything but negligence if you don't at least report this, at least if you report it, it's out of your hands. There's nothing you can do. You're not an investigator. That's not your job, but you report it to a third party, the police, and you let them conduct their investigation, no matter what kind of silver chalice you're trying to win. You do it immediately. And I don't think I'm wrong in questioning how given that detail, that detail alone, if that's proven to be correct, how you keep your job. Unless you've gone to some sort of counseling that we don't know about or something like that, and that you can show receipts, fine, maybe I'll grant you that, maybe. But if you're elevated to a leadership position like that, and that's the decision you make, uh, you shouldn't be in that position. And I think that, I mean... Rick West said the only guy reporting on this stuff. It's not being talked about. But at the end of the day, this is the ugly side of what can happen in professional sports. Thank God for guys like Rick West said, because who else is reporting this? Who else is talking about this? It's not making any panels, not making any radio shows. So let's, let's really talk about this. How do you keep your job if you don't report an alleged sexual assault on two of your players? 
Who are the Blackhawks protecting in this particular instance? Are they protecting the video coach? Maybe. Are they protecting their players? Absolutely not. Are they protecting themselves because they want to win a cup? Yes. Yes. They don't want to fuck with the good thing that they've got going. This is our chance at a Stanley Cup. We can't let anything get in the way. They go. What happens? They here's I think if this is true, it has to be important. Must be said. Yeah. Well, let's to in order to move the conversation forward, let's assume that they go forward to the police. They risk now because I believe it was game one of the Western Conference final. They're worried about this story coming out at some point during either the Western Conference final or the Stanley Cup final. And it would have. And it would have. I yeah. There's, there's a solid chance. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more when, than zero. When something goes to the courts, you usually hear about in the media, like how we're hearing about this now because it has become a lawsuit. So then they play those two rounds then before they report it, and then they report it after. What? You waited a month? You know what I mean? So then even if they, you know, they, they get their wish and they compete, without this going public and they they win the Stanley Cup and then they also report it, then there's a little bit of, there's a different version, I guess, of negligence there as well. This is an enormous story, man. And I hate to say, I feel like we all know the end of it. Well, uh, I wouldn't go that far for me. I think, I think I do need though. I do need at some point in the NHL won't do this because lawyers run the show. And that's fair. They're not going to make any statement on this. But if it comes out that this isn't true, there needs to be some sort of player and employee hotline that NHL players and NHL team employees can reach out to, not necessarily anonymously or maybe anonymously. I, 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 you know, I wouldn't be the guy to make that call. But they, it has to be more than just to, talking to your direct superior because that clearly didn't work. Right? I, I mean, it, like... I think there needs to be something where the NHL sets up a, a, a an office or a, ha- a hotline or something where it's like if this if this stuff happens, you can go and call this number and you're not going to lose your job and you're not going to lose your ice time that night and you're not going to lose your livelihood because that's what they're afraid of. You you say that and like I don't I don't even trust an anonymous line that's created by the NHL. If it's third party, yeah then I can, I can have some faith in and some trust in it. I just hope there's, I know nothing about laws and I'm not a lawyer or the judiciary system, but I hope there's some way that if this comes to be true, there's some sort of punishment for an employer not going to the police because they know something about an employee. Like that's, that's such a violation of everything of someone's rights that I, I hope there's a way that they can individual this corporation can be charged for that if that comes to fruition that their executives chose not to report an assault that happened amongst their employees and they knew about it that they were they were told about it and they chose not to go to the police i hope there's a way you can charge them for that if this trial comes to well comes if, to fruition if, and they if, are found if guilty. they don't settle jesse uh if it because here's the problem too is they just they settle any settlement agreement is going to include a non-disclosure Right. Yep. We know that. So if they do settle, we're not, we're never going to know. Yeah. This will disappear. If right. they settle. Um, if they don't settle and this goes to court, we're going to know everybody. Mm-hmm. And 
Um, what will be fascinating to see is what is proved in court because we're talking millions on the, on the table here. And also we're talking the reputation of an entire organization. I and that's what makes me think they're going to settle. Because if you're the Blackhawks, from a pragmatic perspective, you pay them. And that's the hard part here. I don't think that progresses us or pushes us forward. No, They'll certainly try. Um, but I wonder, I don't think that's what the player's after. Because if I'm not mistaken, when the story originally broke, what, what drove the player to come forward is they did not previously know um, the charge that this former team employee would end up getting down the line once they found out about it they came forward interesting because they don't want it to happen again huh and no amount of money is going to prevent that either way you could just be proactive right now and set that up yeah the blackhawks also did come out with a statement after or in rick Resthead's uh article they did have a statement in there because they were contacted obviously about it and they said that uh, I'm just going to summarize it, that the statute of limitations on this case is um, it should have run out and on on charging them for this should have run out and that the case should be thrown out is kind of their stance on it, their their lawyer's stance on it, and that the team has no specific uh, comment on the direct issue, but that this case should be thrown out because of the 10 year, I believe, statute of limitations on sexual assault cases in Chicago. I mean, the Blackhawks know the truth. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No matter what they say publicly. And they have to live with that, no matter what it is. Innocent, guilty. They know the truth. This story ain't going away. And I got to think the third update is going to be a rather, rather large one. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens, but we thought you should be aware of it. Let's do the press conference. The presser. conference one quick question sure something that i don't think is is uh on a lot of people's minds right now but is a fun question will the leafs re-sign chucky that's from at east coast leaf i see do we do we think coming back if you sign galchenyak at at wayne simmons's rate million and a half or a million two five does anyone hate that no i also think he has a better season um, if he spends the whole season with the Leafs, he, he had a bad, not a bad start, a disrupted start, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. He signed with a team that wasn't the right fit. Sends, you know, obviously weren't bad mm-hmm. other than the first month. And Chucky obviously wasn't bad other mm-hmm. than the giveaway. Uh, so, uh, I mean, no, I don't hate that at all. The Leafs are going to need... Um, he's he's a great combination of a lot of things they need. He provides... Uh, he can have some high-end skill. Mm-hmm. He'll be cheap. And there will be uh, built-in chemistry, which is really hard to find. Uh, and that's another little bug in the system with the Leafs. Yeah, they got this high-end talent, but every year it seems like they got to recycle uh, you know, through these guys who make two mil or less because they just can't afford anybody else. And usually you're not able to have those guys for years at a time. Galchenyuk, if you're able to bring them back at under two mil, I think would actually be a pretty decent victory for them, especially because they're so weak on the left. 
I think it's a problem if Galchenyuk plays anywhere above your third line. I think he can he can sub in. I don't. Yeah, I don't think you should. If you're penciling in your lineup for next season and Galchenyuk is a top six forward, I think you little you missed in the offseason. Here, yeah. Here's what they need out of him. Um, in a pinch, he needs to play top six. Yes, definitely. But one thing they never gave him the opportunity to do, because I don't know if it's the best way to use him. He never played in the bottom <laughs> and he's got to be able, he's got to be able to prove that he can hang there. And like, I don't know, surely, surely you can trust him with third line minutes for the love of God. Mm-hmm. He's a great you know? third line piece. I think he is. I think he is too. I think there's a chance. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he stays because I, there was something that Steve said a long time ago about Reimer and Scrivens. They got rid of Scrivens, brought in Bernier. And, you know, Reimer and Scrivens had a really good back and forth. And that you, you could argue that Scrivens and Reimer, like, put Reimer in his happy place and he performed best. And, and, and then, you know, when Bernier was in, after really Reimer had, had a great year and dragged the team to the playoffs, uh, you know, you could tell he was not as content. You could tell it was harder for him that he was fighting it more. And I wonder with Chucky if it isn't the same thing. Like, you're in your happy place. Stay here at least one more year. Because... You got to get that confidence back. And, and if he has another great year, let's say he puts on an 80, say he plays a full 82 and he gets 40 to 50 points. Well, that's probably a three and a half million dollar contract over three years somewhere else. Right? Yep. Yep. And tr- Toronto's a great place to do it because <laughs> love it or, or hate it. Right now we hate it. The microscope is always on here. It's a great, way, a great place to come in and make a pile of cash that you maybe wouldn't have made elsewhere. Like you look at, I, I think my perfect example of this is Mason Raymond. This is a guy that was literally, yep. you know, punted from Vancouver, comes into Toronto, plays on the worst team in Leafs history, scores 20 goals and gets a three-year deal from Calgary for, for over 3 million a season. Disappeared after that. But, you know, it's a good place to come if you want to be seen on television a lot. Clark MacArthur, some, somewhat the same. Mm-hmm. Although concussion issues. Yeah, no, like, I mean, when he first came here, he came to Toronto on a cheap deal mm-hmm. because the uh, Thrashers did not qualify him after salary arbitration. Wow. They awarded him, he was awarded, I think it was $2.4 million in arbitration, and the Thrashers just went, yeah, that's nice. And they just let him go, and the Leafs got him for $1.1. One of Don Waddell's few, few mistakes. Mm, yes, and then he since has joined a much better Southeast Division team. He sure has. He likes that area. I don't blame God, him. God, remember that division? Oof. Yeah. Man, I, I, uh, I'm jealous that Don Waddell has spent most of his life living down there. That's pretty sweet. Not bad. Wouldn't either. mind living in uh, Carolina. Um, okay, so is that it for us today, guys? We wrapping it? Thumbs up. Thumbs All up. Good. All right, so we will see you Monday. We got, we're going to have three games to talk about. Super excited for that. Take care of yourself this weekend if you're on Ontario. Enjoy stage fun because that's what we're in. And I uh, just want to get your vaccine, get your second just, dose. Just want to let you know that um, the, and this is really great, over 20% of Ontarians have their double dose now, which means oh. we're almost ready for stage two. But it's not supposed to begin until July. But stage two anyway. Love you. See you soon. The Steve Dangle Podcast. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve underscore Dangle, at Adam W-Y-L-D-E, and at Jesse Blake. Connection complete.